Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kitchen Chat. This is your host, Margaret McSweeney, and I'm broadcasting here on my kitchen in the Chicago suburbs. And we have a very special guest today. I can't wait to introduce her to you. But first, if you are a new listener, welcome to my kitchen. I invite you to come back each week. It's a, a show where we just sit and chat with, with authors and cookbook authors, chefs, and people who love food and are in the food industry, and no matter what level you are in terms of your own cooking skills and culinary appetites, you will be sure to take away some great recipes, great tips, and, and fun words of wisdom. So the, the title of this whole show is Kitchen Chat, Food for the Senses and Food for the Soul. And today we are going to get a little bit of taste of some soul food as we travel down to Louisiana. And um, we're going to hear from a dear, dear Southern lady, just, oh, she's so wonderful, Shelley Rushing Tomlinson, and she is known as the Belle of All Things Southern. And Shelley is a host of a daily radio show. I'm going to leave the link um, on the webtalkradio.net kitchen chat site for you to connect, uh, and it's the name of her show is The Bell of All Things Southern as well, and uh, she is also a prolific author of several books, Suck Your Stomach In and Put Some Color on What Southern Mamas Tell Their Daughters That the Rest of Y'all Should Know Too, and also her latest book is Sue Ellen's Girl Ain't Fat. She's She just weighs heavy, and it's so much fun with these books. There are lots of recipes and everything in there. So without further ado, we're about to get a taste of the South, and the taste of the South means it either crunches or melts in your mouth, and I am just so delighted to introduce everyone to Shelly Rushing Tomlinson. Shelly, welcome to Kitchen Chat. Wow. Well, thank you, Margaret, for having me. I hope I can live up to that wonderful introduction and um, entertain your listeners. That, that was sweet. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, thank you. You are just so entertaining. I have had so much fun visiting your website, allthingssouthern.com, and everyone write that down, allthingssouthern.com. You just provide such a sampling of a great menu with recipes, a taste of the South, and this is something that I love for our listeners to really get a feel for, not only of the wonderful taste of, of Southern food and, and the preparation, but also the love and tradition that, that goes into it as well, because Southern tradition is such a, an important, um, I guess, legacy within, within food. Wouldn't you agree? You know, it really is, Margaret. When I built All Things Southern, it wasn't necessarily um, about the food that I, you know, I had a lot to say and I built this website and, and began publishing and doing all these things to, to speak to um, the whole wide world. I'm just a ham, you know, I just wanted to talk to everyone. But um, so it wasn't necessarily built as a food site, but because, as you say, I am Southern, mm -hmm. um, one of the features by necessity had to be recipes because it is such a huge part of our lives. I mean, it's how 
we really show you how we love you, you know, how we care about people. Yeah. Uh, we want to feed you, you know, if you, <laughs> if we're, we, we just think that's the height of how we can express our appreciation. If you yeah. uh, have done something for us, how we can comfort you. If you're down, it just, it all right. comes back to food. We, we want to feed you. So that's yes, I, uh, one of the features is my recipe um, of the week. Yes, and I want to get to that. That is just delightful and, and, and leave the listeners there. Um, but real quickly first, let's just kind of talk a little bit about the South. Now, some of my listeners might not know, but I grew up in the heart of Dixie in, in Alabama. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I might slip into my Southern accent and, and even <laughs> say a few y'alls today <laughs> from Chicagoland. But it's interesting, Shelley, how... The, the recipes and the preparation of, of similar foods are so different in each state. This is true. A lot you know, of and it's also even true in Louisiana. You know, from North Louisiana to South Louisiana, there's a wide uh, difference in, you know, how we prepare our food. And then there's Cajun and Creole that, right. you know, are two really different types of foods, even from Southern Louisiana. So, we, um, I think the South as a whole, there are a lot of recipes that um, are the same or the basics are the same, but you're mm-hmm. right. Each different state and region of the South uh, will prepare them a little bit differently. And good Lord, if you get into barbecues and you just got the barbecue <laughs> wars because you got the people that swear by the mustard sauce and, and those that just think mustard sauce is up the devil. It's got to be, you know, sweet and spicy. So, yeah, we're we're a funny bunch when it comes to our eats. Are, but I think the South really carries on their tradition, no matter what ingredient is added or spice <laughs> is added, the tradition mm-hmm. of um, really serving and preparing with love and providing that special crunch, which, of course, mm-hmm. and everyone can throw their diets away today, is a deep-fried <laughs> <laughs> a deep fried approach. <laughs> so what yeah. do you like to deep-fry the most? Well, okay, I'm going to surprise you here and just yeah. probably throw a curve into things, but I really don't fry a lot you anymore. Don't fry anymore. I do not. So, and that's kind of something that a lot of people that are outside the South maybe still have, um, you know, they associate the South with frying. And um, yes and no. You know, people still, we do fry a lot, and now that does not mean I don't eat fried food. You know, I may eat fried catfish out somewhere occasionally or, or fried shrimp, but many of my girlfriends and family members are like myself. We really have adopted um, our southern way of cooking to, mm-hmm. you know, more baking and grilling and, you know, slow cooking and that type of thing and less frying. So, if I'm going to break down and actually fry in my own kitchen, um, I'm going to do it rarely. But if I do, it's going to be probably fish that I would still, fish. Okay. you know, I would still fry. Oh, and one thing I love to fry, and this is off, this is off topic. This is like fun appetizer food. Okay, this oh, okay. is not a hearty meal, but <laughs> I love to take jalapenos. Mm. Yes and fry them. I will literally take a jar of spiced jalapenos. Uh, I'll do this if I'm cooking fish, for instance, you yeah. know, with with the fried fish. I will take a jar of uh, sliced jalapenos, 
Mm-hmm. Drain all the juice off of those little puppies. Flour them up really well. Season them with a great Cajun seasoning like Tony Sachery's, and deep fry them. You know they're ready when they kind of bubble back up to the top of the oil, and they're you know toasty brown. And take them out, set them aside, and drain them on some paper towels. And mm-hmm. if you are a jalapeno nut like I am, you will <laughs> love them. And You'll have to convince yourself not to do it very often. (laughs) And do you have a special dip or sauce that you include? Well, if I'm going to make something, I might would do like a little uh, romalade sauce, you know, a little ketchup, mayonnaise, a little horseradish, you know, kind of whip that together and dip those little jalapenos in it. And You can do the same thing with pickles, but most people are aware of a fried pickle recipe and a lot of people don't realize you can also do that with a sliced jalapeno. So oh, yeah. I, I mentioned it for that I reason. I realize that. That sounds yummy. And you'd mentioned about puppies, and that makes me think of the hush puppies, hush puppies. growing up <laughs> in the South. <laughs> that was always a staple at our cafeterias, our school cafeteria. <laughs> yes, everyone puppies. still eats hush puppies down here. Everybody, hush puppies can become like a religion of their own. Everybody will do them a little bit differently, as we were alluding to earlier, you know, across yes. the South. But um, for those who might be saying, what in the world is a hush puppy? <laughs> How Perhaps we should one? stop and explain that, right? <laughs> it's little fried bites of cornbread, actually. You make up a cornbread mixture. Um, some people will put, jalap- again, jalapenos. Can mm-hmm. you smell like jalapenos? Yeah. Um, like chipped up jalapenos in it. Um, and you really just make them into a little ball. Mm-hmm. And you put them in the grease. And they, they cook up just nice and crispy. And, you know, for your listeners that may, you know, may enjoy trivia, I'll even give you the story of yeah. of how hush puppies were born, as far as I understand, yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, this is could be just folklore, but it's what I've always been told, that right. years ago when um, people were frying, you know, a meal around a campfire, um, they would fry fish or, you know, catch their own fish and fry it or whatever, and the dogs would be hungry and milling about and barking and the story goes that people would just toss in a little bit of the the breading that they were cooking everything with you know the little batter they would toss it into the fire and and, you know it would um get hard and they would you know drain it and throw it to the dogs and say hush puppies (laughs) I, I, i don't know margaret but I give you trivia along with everything else today. <laughs> I love that. And that's another endearing quality about the South. The stories, the folklore, the tall tales, uh, you know, oh, just a part just... of tradition that's passed along. Oh, that is great. We we can't talk without telling a story. You know, I often right. say that my favorite expression is that reminds me of a story. Right. Because everything does, you know. Oh, we, I know. And speaking of stories, you have <laughs> written some wonderful books, and I love the titles. Suck your mm-hmm. stomach in and put some color on what Southern mamas tell their daughters that the rest of y'all should know, too. And Sue Ellen's girl ain't fat. She just weighs heavy. And how about those titles? I love that. Now, how can we relate those to food? <laughs> Well, I can tell you this, in each one of those books, I have recipes. How about that? At the end of each chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, again, because Southern, 
you know, Southern life, and um, even in my nonfiction books, you know, it's all about the food. We're going to have to figure out a way to include the food some way. So each of the chapters in my books um, have recipes at the end. There's a chapter that will have meats and one on desserts and one on vegetables and salads and, you know, all throughout the, the spectrum there. And so I offer recipes along with a little storytelling and humor. Oh, that sounds fun. Would you mind sharing just, um, you know, your favorite or, or just, you know, one of the most memorable recipes from each book and and real quickly just how it relates, if you could give us a little uh, sampling taste of that chapter. I, I can. Let me see. Um I will. I don't. I have neither of my books at hand. Isn't that horrible? So no, I don't know. No, if, that's fine. If, or just how you know what? What are some of the? Okay, what, I'll just give you a couple recipes. How, how about that? Because that's um, great. and I could have went and grabbed a book. No, um, don't worry I'll, about. It. I, okay, well, I will tell you uh, a couple recipes that would be easy. Say, if someone's listening, they don't have a real a pen really handy. That's our favorite way of giving a recipe. It's something that's right. not so intricate that you can't remember it. Right. And so when I'm talking on the phone or, you know, in an uh, interview like this, I like to talk about um, ways to cook food that people can just hear and hang on yeah. to, even if they don't write it down. So right. here's a good idea for your listeners. Wonderful. One of my favorite ways to cook a pork tenderloin. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's say that you, uh, you're you busy, busy, like you and I, Margaret, and everyone uh-huh. else listening, you know, and, and you want a good meal that um, that evening, but you're just flat out, you know, rushed. Right. Well, what you want to do is grab your pork tenderloin, say a mm-hmm. two to three pound pork tenderloin, and this is so easy to prepare mm-hmm. that it's just almost um, unfair. But you pull out your crock pot, plug it in, put it on warm, okay? Mm-hmm. Then you're going to take that pork tenderloin and you're just going to season it well. Uh, to us, that means Tony Sasheries again. It's a great mm-hmm. Cajun seasoning, but for someone that may not have access to that, it just means salt and pepper, um, a little cayenne, you know, garlic, you know, whatever spices you have in your cabinet. Right. Rub that tenderloin down really well with it, and then you take peppered bacon. Now, you can buy peppered bacon right where you buy regular bacon. You may just not have ever noticed it in your grocery mm-hmm. But it will be peppered bacon. And I take that peppered bacon and I wrap it around the pork tenderloin, maybe like a half a pound, you know, because you're going to wrap an individual slice. And next to that slice, you wrap another slice. And Mm -hmm. if you follow me, you know, all the way down the loin so that you're wrapping it really good in that that peppered bacon. And then here's the trick. You Hmm. take apricot preserves, a little jar of apricot preserves, and you just spoon that all over the top of your pork tenderloin that mm. you've set, you know, that's wrapped in the bacon. You've set it in your crock pot. You spoon that um, preserve across the top of it. Put the lid on it and let that baby cook. And it will make this sweet and spicy, saucy type of meat that will just literally fall apart with the fork. Wow. I mean, it's just a, it's a great meat. And then you have your, your supper already started. Put some pasta or some rice or, you know, some quick potatoes. Or you could even throw a baked potato in the microwave. And there you go. Put a salad with it and you have just a meal that um, someone thinks you, you know, slaved all day. 
over, <laughs> and, and you and you didn't, and you right. can still fa- feed your family a, a nice meal. So that that's the type of recipe good. that I like to pass along. That, uh, thank you for planning the meal for the evening. This is great. <laughs> now, how long do you leave the pork tenderloin in the crock pot? Okay, if you're going to put it in your crock pot, you mm-hmm. can you can leave it on low, really, all afternoon. I mean, I'm going to say three to four hours, okay. you know, um, four to five. It's not going to really dry out, so you're yeah. really not in any danger. It's not going to dry out. It's going to keep moisture because that peppered bacon right. and the um, apricot preserves are going to make a sauce. Um, if you don't have that type of time, mm-hmm. you can still take that very same recipe and you can put it in, say, a cast iron skillet, mm-hmm. put it in your oven at 375, and you can cook that about an hour. The very oh, same, wow. the very same um, directions, cook it about an hour, and it will it will be delicious. The slow cooker is just going to really break down the meat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So if you want to slice it. Um, more of a sliced meat main dish, you know, you can cook it in the oven if you want it to break down and, and have the flexibility of not being there to watch it, which is exactly. what's so advantageous. Then exactly. you can put it in the crock pot. So right. that's the type of cooking that I talk about. Oh, that is great. In your books, I love that. So you really provide wonderful recipes. Now, let's talk about cast iron skillet. That's a real mm-hmm. southern thing. I remember um, just vague memories of my my um, grandma Turnage, um, and she mm-hmm. would insist on using a cast iron skillet for the the um, cornbread that she'd make mm-hmm. and everything. And is there? I don't know. I mean, is there like a chemical reason that this cast iron uh, really just enhances the flavor or what do you you think it's just part of tradition I think it's a little bit of both now your cast iron skillet will it will acquire a seasoning over time that just um you know lends to the flavor of your food you can't replicate cornbread in a regular skillet and make it taste anywhere near how you can in a cast iron skillet i mean there's just no difference but we are pretty um, particular about our skillets i mean if someone um, were to put soap in our skillet for instance then there's a war on you know that that's reason enough right there for a lawsuit for many of southern cooks because we don't we don't clean a skillet with soap you it's got um over time the seasoning of the skillet is so perfect that you can cook in it and nothing sticks Mm-hmm. And when you get through cooking, you just literally rinse it out and you take a paper towel and you can just towel it clean without washing away all that. That's what people do. If you see if you put soap in it, see it, it, right. take, it strips the skillet of that okay. great coating. And that's when, you know, Southern cooks just have a fit. I mean, if you absolutely have to have a little bit of something else, say, you know, you've cooked and, and it's kind of... um it needs a heavier cleaning. Then right. you take salt and you oh. put salt in the skillet and you can yeah. scrub it with a rag and that salt is a natural cleaning agent that will clean the skillet without removing it of its oil. So yeah. you can tell by my the way I'm talking that we're pretty particular yes. about our skillets. <laughs> oh, you know, this is just 
fascinating to hear. And and it, there's no risk of, you know, I guess with um, the residue of the food to mm-hmm. cause any illnesses or anything, or just the salt takes care of that? The salt takes care of that, and there's really no residue. You take a skillet, many season, many skillets, calm season now, but a you know, mm-hmm. southerner knows how to season a skillet. Right. You've been taught by your mom how to do that, and you mm-hmm. put lard in the skillet, and you put it in the oven, and you, you just coat the inside of the skillet really well with lard and, and let it cook on low. Mm-hmm. And it will just kind of bake into the skillet itself. And you may do that several times before you really have the finish that you want on the inside. And then you mm-hmm. just take really good care of it. And many a skillet has been passed down for generations. If you get a hold of your grandmother's skillet, you have something that is of extremely high value. Oh, that is just great. And, I, and like you mentioned, Margaret, much of that is also tradition. Yeah. You know, because there's something really special about all the meals that have went in to that and that have been served out exactly. of it. Exactly. Now, who played an important role, um, family and, and you know, or, or chefs included, uh, of really fostering the love of of cooking in you? Hmm. Is there any um, one that seems Probably um, just be a host of women, but if the top, you know, the top dog would be my mom. Aww. I mean, you know, she she taught me about feeding a family and how important it was to sit down together at a meal and, and those types of things that I treasure. I don't really consider myself a cook that loves the actual cooking of a meal. I'm not one that just delights in being in the kitchen, you know. I'm, right. Um, my daughter is, but that's another story. <laughs> I know. And I'm, well, we'll get to her we'll if, to if her. you would like. Yeah. But yeah. my, um, I was going to say, I cook because uh, people need to eat. You know, right. I cook because we, I like sitting at a meal together with my family. So I'm, I wouldn't say that I actually have that love of being in the kitchen, mm-hmm. but I love to take care of people and nurture them. And that comes from my mom. She gave me that for sure. Oh, that is just so wonderful. And and I understand you have grandkids. But I do. That daughter that we just mentioned that um that blogs at Kitchen Bellicious, if we could yes. get that in there. She is a fantastic cook, and she does absolutely love being in the kitchen. But she is about to have my second grandson. Oh. She has one little boy that's two and a half. I was out in Houston this past weekend taking care of him while he and his parent, while his parents, um, my daughter and her husband, went to New York for a wedding. And I, my husband and I got to, you know, keep Grant that weekend. So we, we had a blast. And then she is also about to give birth to the second little grandson in oh, December. Oh, exciting. Yeah. So and we then my, my son, oh, I'm sorry. I stepped oh, on what you no, were saying. That's fine. I would say we, we will definitely have Jessica and of KitchenBellicious.com on Kitchen mm-hmm. Chat and things settle down a little bit in her kitchen. <laughs> so. Oh, that sounds fantastic. She yeah. would love that. Yeah. Then my son and his wife live here in our hometown, and they have two little girls. So oh. I have a total of, about to have a total of four. How 
special. And so do they come into your kitchen and, and do you um, cook special special little treats for them? And kind oh, of yeah. We're, oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're, if we're, we're going to get together. It's going to be around food. You know, we're going to have a <laughs> meal and enjoy that together. And my daughter-in-law is a great cook in her own right. So that means um, that wonderful thing that I'm sure people do everywhere, and it's, it's not just Southerners, but um, we may, if we're going to eat after um, lunch together, after church together, say, for instance, for lunch after church, then it's so easy to get a meal together because I call Carrie and, and I say, let's get together, and she'll say, I'll bring this, and then mom might say, okay, I'll bring this, and I'll say I'll do the meat, and then we have a meal up just that Aww. quickly, and so everybody brings it and puts it together. We call it potluck, and we just yes, all enjoy it. the potluck. Mm-hmm. Yes, lunches and dinners of the south and at the churches. Mm-hmm. I remember that so well. Oh, that that's mm-hmm. just neat that you're really continuing this family tradition and passing on these. Um, Secrets of the Skillet. I think that. <laughs> that hey, that, that sounds like a book title, Margaret. The Secrets yes. of the Skillet. Yes, <laughs> maybe that could be your next book, along with your two other <laughs> wonderful, wonderful ones. Um, mm-hmm. I love on your website, and I encourage the listeners to go to allthingssouthern.com. Shelley provides these wonderful quotes. And one that just I, I just loved, and it does pertain to cooking, it was mm-hmm. whatever cooking mistakes you make can be covered by either gravy or frosting. <laughs> That's a southern saying that just I have always enjoyed, you know, that that women would tell the next generation, you know, don't worry about it. Cover it up with gravy. If it's a baked item, put frosting on it. You know, there's there's always a way around it if it if it fail, you know, if the cake fail or the meat doesn't look great, you know, put exactly. the gravy on it. Oh, I mm-hmm. love that. And it's just wise wisdom. You know, it is a, it's some good wisdom too that mm-hmm. you know, don't take things too seriously. You can you know, everyone makes mistakes and, exactly. and you can cover it up with gravy or or frosting. But exactly. What, exactly. So what um are some of your favorite gravies that you've sampled through the years? Mm. Well, my mom made a milk gravy that that comes to mind when you ask that question and makes me think, I have not made milk gravy in a while. I should do that. But there is nothing like a biscuit with milk gravy. And I don't know if your listeners would be, um, you know, familiar with milk gravy or not, but you would make it similar to any other gravy. You would make a little roux first. You know, in the Mm -hmm. South, everything starts with first you make a roux. Right. the way our recipes start, but that just means, for those who don't know how to make a root, that just means a little flour and oil. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the time, if you're making milk gravy, then you've cooked bis- biscuits and maybe a sausage, and so you've got the little remains of the sausage drippings in your skillet, mm-hmm. and then to the sausage drippings, you're going to add a little bit of flour. Um, say just a heaping tablespoon of flour if you have maybe a couple teaspoons of grease Mm -hmm. you're going to add about a tablespoon of flour and start stirring that and then it starts getting um, what we call next door to burnt 
That just means it's not burnt, but it's next door to burnt. <laughs> That's a pretty precise cooking term that everyone can realize, you know, immediately. Then you just take cold milk and you just add cold milk to that skillet. And all that is going to start bubbling up. You take a wooden spoon and just, you know, scratch off the bottom of um, that skillet and let that let that bubble up really good and then turn it down on low and, and let it cook and season it with salt and pepper. And you've got milk gravy milk. that you can pour over those biscuits. Mm. Makes me hungry. That does sound yummy. Now, I'm wondering why cold milk? I mean, is there a, a, a scientific, you know, there's so much science, but mm. the art of cooking. I wonder if there's a, you know, a specific reason. And does it have to be... Um, the, the milk, or can it whole milk, or can it be skim milk, or buttermilk? Um, I would guess it could be buttermilk and skim milk. I've never used them. I mean, I'll have two percent milk in the, mm-hmm. um, you know, refrigerator, and I'll use that to make a gravy. But okay. now, why is it cold? I really don't know the science behind it, other than any gravy that I've ever made, mm-hmm. you didn't use room temperature. I do not know why that is. You didn't use room temperature liquid. Um, You know, so I would reach for the milk. I'm not sure that that's a science, even as I say it, though, Margaret, because oftentimes you can grab kitchen stock out of the pantry, and it's really not cold. It's at a room temperature, and you can use it, you know, to make a liquid. So probably... Um, oh, and that reminds me of a story. Yeah. Probably you're just using the milk because it's probably cold just because it was in the refrigerator. There's yeah. probably okay. zero science to it, which reminds me that the story that, that reminds me of, um, I, I used to hear it told about a cook that um, there was a recipe handed down throughout the years of how to make a ham, and you would slice the ends off. And this mom was telling the daughter, she called, she got married, called the mom, you know, how do you make your ham? She went through the the steps, and, you know, one of them was slice the ends off, put it in the pot, blah, 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 all the different uh-huh. um, instructions. And the daughter said, but why do you cut the ends off? And she said, well, I don't know. That's how Mama did it. So <laughs> this daughter calls the the mother, the who would be the grandmother, and she asked her the question, and the grandmother's like, I don't really know. I mean, that's how my mama did it. Aww. So she ends up calling back two generations, and the old great-grandmother says, well, honey, I didn't have a pot big enough. Oh, no. For <laughs> <Or> the ham. <laughs> <laughs> so the next two generations have been cutting the ends off the ham, you know, um, strictly because the great-grandmother didn't have a pot big enough, so. I don't know. That may be that may explain the cold milk as well, huh? It could, or it might be the secret ingredient for milk gravy. (laughs) Oh, this is oh! I just love hearing these fun stories and recipes and traditions of the South. And um, we are not too far away from from Thanksgiving. Uh, do you mm-hmm. have any special Southern traditions you can share about your own Thanksgiving that our listeners will oh, enjoy? Let me think. Plenty of food first. There's your, there's your criteria. You know, yeah. there absolutely must be plenty of food. One of the things that we're really enjoying in the South, and I would ask you if y'all do it, Margaret, I'm always mm-hmm. interested to know, do y'all have fried turkeys? Do y'all serve fried turkeys? No, 
we do, well, some people do, you know. Um, but I, no, I've I've heard about it. What is that? Is oh my gosh! You know, for it? Yeah. that is such a good meat. Now we we said earlier, you know, that I don't fry a lot, and I don't mm-hmm. as far as battering um, food and frying it in the kitchen, you know, during the right. week because we just eat healthier than that. But a Thanksgiving treat that has become popular in the South, as far as um, with my circle, you know, yeah. in the last, say, 10 years, is having the turkey deep fried. And mm-hmm. it's just a totally different flavor, but we'll inject it with a marinade that, you know, you can buy in the grocery store, a butterball mm-hmm. marinade. Um, and they're all kind of different seasonings. You know, there's a garlic one, there's a spicy marinade, many, whatever flavor that suits you. Mm-hmm. You can inject the turkey with it. You don't batter it. I, I need to stop and say that okay. in case someone's okay. conjuring up a different image in their mind. You know, you, the turkey's not battered. It's the right. same as any turkey that you're, you're about to put in the oven. But instead, they'll cook this outside. They'll have their deep fryer. The men will tend to this part of our meal. Mm-hmm. And they'll have their deep fryer prepared with hot oil. And they literally lower the turkey in the deep fryer and um, fry it. And it is just the best meat. So that's one of the things that we we may do if we have a large family um, get-together plan. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you always have to alternate um, holidays with, you know, all the different family members that may Mm -hmm. be going to mom's or the other side. And so we're we're aware of all that. But if you have a large family coming, the men may fry one of the turkeys outside. And then we'll cook another turkey inside. And, you know, you'll have two different um, types of meat to choose from. And other than that, we're always going to have corn and we're going to have some sort of um, um, baked potato dish. I love my hash brown potato casserole. And oh. It's a really easy one. You just take hash brown potatoes mm-hmm. um, strictly, you know, straight from your freezer. Right. And you're going to put those in your cast in a large casserole dish, okay. then you're going to take a different bowl, and in your mixing bowl, you're going to melt a stick of butter, mm-hmm. and then you're going to put a small carton of sour cream in the mixing bowl with the butter, and some cheddar cheese. You can use a different type of cheese if you prefer, but I use like about eight, about two cups, excuse me, about two cups, eight ounces of cheddar cheese. And then one can of cream of chicken soup, and you stir that together. And then you're going to put that on your hash brown potatoes and stir it all up. And I will put a little bit of crunchy across the top. If I have cornflakes, I might crush those and put them across the top. I may put, um, you know, crushed onions, like Durkee's onions in a can, you know, the fried onions. I might crush those up croutons, you know, something like that that I will crush up and put across the top of that casserole and bake that for about 45 minutes. And it's really much like a stuffed baked potato, but it's a a large casserole so that you're not doing individual potatoes. And that's a recipe that I probably have had at the Thanksgiving table for 15 years around Aww. here. You know, we, we just really like that one. So. A great tradition. And those that, are going to be the stars of the meal. That, that sounds so yummy. And and back to that fried turkey. Does it? How mm-hmm. long does it take to fry a turkey? 
Um, I think they now, and don't hold me to this because the men are always cooking it outside, and I'm never really gauging it. They have a thermometer, you know, that they're going right. to make sure it gets to the right temperature. But I'm going to guess about forty-five minutes to an hour. Well, that is one it's, fast turkey. Yeah, that's going to yeah. be my guess. And um, wow. no one sue me. It, you know, make sure you use your thermometer and, no. and find out because I haven't been outside doing that. I've left that up to the men. Right. No, that and that's a great way to keep them busy and out of the kitchen mm-hmm. <laughs> sampling. And <laughs> very good, very good advice right there. Oh. Of course, we're always going to have sweets. There's a lot of sweets in both of my books. Both of them have uh, dessert recipes in them, and so oh. we're going to have sweets at the Thanksgiving table as well. And, oh. and we like green beans wrapped in bacon. Do y'all do that? Well, um, not the bacon. I I did and when I was growing up in the South, yes. Mm-hmm. And, and my mm-hmm. dad, my dad was the one who was just the most incredible cook. Um, he just mm-hmm. truly influenced me. And as most of my listeners know, I am still, you know, at almost age 50, still trying to learn how to cook. Uh, and my dad <laughs> was just, I know, <laughs> my well, dad we such an inspiration. We'll, yes, we'll take those green beans um, straight out of the can, you know, your long green beans that aren't yeah. cut up. And we'll take those and we'll make these little green bean bundles. Like you put about... Yeah. Oh, you take one slice of bacon and you lay it down in your casserole dish and then right in the very center of that bacon, you're going to put seven or eight green beans mm-hmm. and then you're going to wrap that bacon around it and secure it with a toothpick and then you're going to do that as many more times as you have bacon and green beans, you oh, know, and you, so you're going to end up with all these little bundles in your casserole dish and then we put a little bit of um barbecue sauce on the top of each little bundle right there where that toothpick is, say a tablespoon of barbecue sauce, and then we put that in the oven and let that bake, and the bacon gets crispy, and then it just kind of infuses those green beans with that that bacon flavor and barbecue, and if I do not have green bean bundles at Thanksgiving, my son would just you know, rebel. I mean, he just would be sad because that that's his favorite. He's going to come oh. in that day asking me if we're having green bean bundles. And he, oh. he's grown, but he's just, he's grown up with them and he expects them at Thanksgiving. Right. Now, do you use the peppered bacon for that or just the regular bacon? Mm, I've never used the peppered bacon, but that is a marvelous idea, and oh. I'm probably going to do it this Thanksgiving. Thank Great. you, Margaret. Oh, well, that sounds fun. And, and what about the dressing? What do you like to do for the stuffing, the dressing? <laughs> oh, I have. I do know that my mama's cornbread dressing recipe that I use is in um, Suck Your Stomach and it put some color on, the first Penguin book release. Oh. I know that that recipe, I believe, is in there and if not it's probably on my website also you can look under archives and you'll see all my recipes um and i think it's on there but i use a cornbread recipe around here we don't really we we rarely stuff our turkey that's a big difference in the south i believe and the other regions is that we like the dressing on the side instead of a stuffing in the turkey and I think maybe it's trending, and listeners let me know if it's otherwise, but I think it's mm-hmm. trending where it is more towards the side, just with, uh-huh. you know, concerns of 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll make a cornbread dressing, which you make just a big old pound of cornbread in your skillet, and then you've got your chicken that you, you boil a chicken, you know, you pull all the meat off of it, and you're going to combine your chicken and your um, broth with onions and peppers and celery. We call that the Holy Trinity around here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, you're going to bake that in the oven. And, I mean, there's a few other ingredients. I'm just kind of going up the top of it for your for your listeners. But, um, you know, you're going to salt and pepper that and use a good bit of chicken broth to keep it moist while it's cooking. And one of Mama's big rules is do not overstir your dressing. I think I heard that a million hundred times growing up. You do not want to overstir your dressing because it will get tough. And so she taught me that you take a fork and you basically you just kind of move your dressing around to mm. you know to keep it moist and keep it cooking uniformly. But you don't take a spoon and upend it and turn it a lot because it will dry out. Oh, I just love the the words of wisdom for cooking. I hope you'll include that in your your new book coming up, Secrets of the Skillet. <laughs> I'm just going to hold on to that title. It's a good uh, one. Yes, I just think there's so much wisdom in, you know, these southern um cooking mm-hmm. lessons and mm-hmm. it really is and and just the the you know, the tradition that is being passed along to exactly exactly now i do have to ask you real quickly because i'm going to this chili cook-off this weekend Mm -hmm. and i've been Mm -hmm. asked to make a pot of chili and i'm trying not Mm -hmm. to panic what is a? do you have any quick ideas quick recipes for really good chili that will stand out i sure can and i tell you what i would not even i would tell you this would be my advice to you margaret yeah. i would not even start from scratch with that because okay. you can go to the grocery store and get one of the really fantastic um chili seasonings oh okay and and use one of the seasoning packets there. My favorite is um, one we have called Wolf. No, it's not Wolf Brand. Oh, I'm I'm seeing it. Um, three Alarm. It's got Three Alarm Chili. It's in a red packet. If you cannot find that, you go ahead and you start with any type of a store-bought seasoning packet for chili. Okay. And to that, you just make sure you add some good Rotel tomatoes. Um, I know you'll have find those in your grocery store, and it will say chili fixings on it. There's ro- there's plain Rotel, and then there's Rotel with chili oh. fixings. You buy that Rotel with chili fixings, and you prepare that store-bought seasoning mix with that Rotel and, and the tomato sauce that it calls for, and season that up well with salt and pepper, and they'll just love you. Oh, well, I just... You know, <laughs> don't want to poison anyone and want to have something that <laughs> tastes good. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. Oh, I promise. Well, now we put. If I were, you know, if I had access to my um, to my freezer, I would add along with the beef. Um, we often cook chili with a little bit of deer meat that we have in the freezer. Oh. But I'm guessing you don't have deer meat that you can cook well, down. So. No, I don't, although we have a lot of deer running around because mm-hmm. we're by a forest preserve. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we have quite a bit of <laughs> animal mm-hmm. kingdom mm-hmm. Uh, moments. Yeah, we had a huge snapping turtle in our driveway this summer. Oh, really? 
Yeah, because there's like well, a, a pond or something way way mm-hmm, back in the mm-hmm. forest preserve, and um, this ancient creature <laughs> came crawling <laughs> from the lagoon. Well, up our I bottom. live right here on the banks of Lake Providence, oh, just right out my backyard. I think I have pictures on my website where you can see my dock and my in the backyard, but many times turtles crawl up out of the lake and they'll come up in my backyard and my chocolate lab just has a fit, you know, just barks at them and they pay him no mind whatsoever and they'll lay their eggs um, and then go back down to the lake bank. Oh, I I see it quite often. That's great. Well, I have to keep my little chihuahua and shih tzu away from the snapping turtles. (laughs) Right, right. She's not large enough. Exactly. But, oh, this this has just been so much fun, Shelley, connecting with you and learning about these special Southern traditions that, that you learned from your mom and that you're, you passed on to your daughter and, and grandkids. And, and, and I just want to encourage everyone to connect with the belle of all things Southern, Shelley Rushing Tomlinson, and visit her website at allthingssouthern.com and tune in to her radio show. And you can um, get the podcast links on her website and pick up her two books. They're both delicious reads. Suck your stomach in and put some color on what Southern mamas tell their daughters that the rest of y'all should know too. And Sue Ellen's girl ain't fat. She just weighs heavy. (laughs) But thank you for having me, Margaret. Thank you very much. This has just been delightful, and I hope you'll come back on Kitchen Chat, and and maybe when we have your daughter, um, uh, Jessica Ann, uh, from KitchenBellicious.com, you can join her, and we can can talk some more about the South. uh, Sounds great. That would be great. But thank you so much, Shelly, for sharing a taste of the South today here on Kitchen Chat. And this is Margaret McSweeney, your host, and I would love to invite you back into my kitchen next week. We always have some some fun people joining us with great ideas, and it's just been especially fun today hearing from Shelley. And please visit her website, allthingssouthern.com, and and please drop me a line and, and visit me on the Kitchen Chat website at webtalkradio.net. I look forward to connecting with you. And please remember just to take the time with family and friends in the kitchen and always, always savor the day. <laughs>